On the latest episode of In on the Act, we are taking a look at an act in the making uh, that was only introduced to Parliament on the 17th of May, the Renters Reform Bill, a keenly awaited piece of legislation aimed at delivering the government's 2019 manifesto promise of abolishing Section 21 no-fault evictions. I'm joined by Imogen Dodds, barrister at Falcon Chambers, to discuss the bill and the implications for landlords and tenants if it makes it to the statute book. Uh, Imogen, great to speak to you. Thank you very much for having me. So I have touched very briefly on the background to the bill, but can you just sort of go into a bit more detail for us on the political context behind uh, its introduction and the lengthy background that has got us to this point? Sure. So the context to this bill um, is that the country has a very large private rented sector, about twice as large as it was 20 years ago. We've got estimates that about 4.6 million households rent from private landlords. So that's about 11 million people. And two key concerns have arisen in the past few years, those being, first of all, security of tenure, for residential tenants and secondly housing quality and it's really the first issue that this bill tries to tackle the the longer version of the background to this bill is that over the past 50 years or so the security of tenure for residential tenants has fluctuated so initially we had the rent acts most recently the rent act 1977 which gave tenants a relatively high level of security that has over the years been eroded and the issue now arises because the most common form of private tenancies are assured shorthold tenancies subject to section 21 of the housing act 1988 the so-called no fault eviction provision which allows the tenant to be evicted on two months notice without the landlord having to give any reason for wanting to get the tenant out provided that a valid notice has been served. I should say there are a number of requirements under the current law for a Section 21 notice, and it is far from unusual to see landlords trip up on those. Now, Parliament's always going to have to strike a balance between the competing interests of landlords and tenants when it comes to security. But the feeling more recently was that Section 21 does tip the balance too far in favour of landlords. And as you mentioned, a bill to change that was first proposed back in April 2019, which feels like a very long time ago now, when then Prime Minister Theresa May promised that no fault evictions would be scrapped. Um, in Ju July 2019, the government launched a consultation seeking views on getting rid of ASTs and also on the circumstances in which landlords should be able to end tenancies without the tenant being at fault. And we then had quite a long wait before June 2022, when we got the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities white paper entitled A Fairer Private Rented Sector, which unveiled the government's 12-point plan to tackle the problems in the rented residential sector relating to poor quality and unsafe housing, and also, as we've said, tenants' lack of security. And there were a number of concerns raised in that white paper, including that the threat of no-fault evictions means that tenants can be reluctant to challenge housing standards in case the landlord retaliates by then evicting them. Um, there were also some problems noted about landlords reporting problems in recovering their properties when faced with antisocial tenants or tenants who weren't paying their rent. 
Then July last year, we had a call for evidence by the Leveling Up Housing and Communities Committee, and their report came out in February of this year. And then, as you said, finally, we have <laughs> the long-awaited draft bill, which was published in May this year. So that's, uh, in short, how we got to where we are now. So uh, against that extensive backdrop, let's tackle uh, the draft bill, as you say, as it has been introduced to Parliament. So what are the key proposals contained in the Renters Reform Bill? So I'll start by uh, flagging the obvious, which is that this is as the bill is currently drafted. So um, lots of this could change as the bill uh, makes its way through Parliament. The headline point is the abolition of assured shorthold tenancies um, and also um, the abolition of fixed term tenancies. So we now, under this bill, um, have it that a tenancy will only end either if the tenant gives two months notice or if the landlord has a valid ground for possession. So the section 21 and the no fault eviction is no more, um, although as we will see and we'll, we'll go on to discuss um, with the new package of possession grounds that comes in the bill, there are still a number of grounds which are essentially no fault because they don't depend on any default by the tenant. So yes, the bill brings changes to the grounds for possession. There's lots to unpack there, but the headline points are, first of all, we have now two uh, landlord need grounds, which have been made easier. So ground one, which um, applies if the landlord needs the property back because they want to live there, that has been extended so that it includes additional family members and there's no longer any requirement for a notice to have been served before the tenancy starts, although that ground can't be used in the first six months of the tenancy. We have a new ground 1A, which applies where the landlord intends to sell the property. And again, there's a ban on that being used in the first six months. We have a new ground 6A, which applies if the landlord needs the property back to allow compliance with enforcement action. So, for example, if an improvement notice has been served requiring remedial work or if the landlord should have had an HMO license but doesn't. There are new changes to ground 8, which is the mandatory rent arrears ground. Um, so uh, moving forwards, and if, if the bill is uh, passed in its current form, when calculating rent arrears, we'll now have to disregard any amount which is unpaid because the tenant hadn't received an amount for housing to which he was entitled as part of an award for universal credit. We have a new mandatory rent arrears ground, which is ground 8A, and that applies if there have been rent arrears of more than two months or eight weeks unpaid on at least three separate days in a three year period. And a separate occasion for these purposes is if in the intervening period, the tenant has managed to reduce the unpaid rent to less than that threshold, so less than two months or eight weeks. Um, there's also some changes to ground 14, which is the antisocial behaviour ground. So that previously, well, at the moment, requires conduct causing or likely to cause a nuisance or annoyance to others. But under the new bill, it will be sufficient if the conduct is capable of causing nuisance or annoyance. There's various other changes and new grounds 
um, in the bill, but those are the, the headline ones. Other changes include new notice periods, possibly um, most importantly for practitioners, um, for the rent arrears eviction grounds, so 8, 10, 11, and now also 8A, the notice period has been increased from two weeks to four weeks, so the tenant has a little bit longer to clear the arrears. Um, we have new tenancy deposit sanctions, Obviously, with Section 21 being removed, a major stick for landlords, which incentivizes them to protect deposits properly, has gone. And instead, that's being replaced with a new Section 215 of the Housing Act 2004, which will provide that the court can only make an order for possession, even in a Section 8 claim, unless it's the antisocial behavior or nuisance ground that's being relied upon if one, the tenancy deposit is being held in accordance with an authorised scheme, two, if the initial requirements relating to that scheme have been complied with, although late compliance will be okay, and three, if the prescribed information has been provided, although again, um, late compliance will suffice. Worth noting that on the current drafting of the bill, it seems as though the landlord simply needs to have complied with those by the time the court makes its order. So at the moment, it doesn't look as though a failure to comply would invalidate the notice, which is the case with Section 21 notices. It just needs to have been done by the time of the hearing. Other changes include um, relate to rent increases. Um, so other than for specific kinds of um, social rent assured tenancies, rent increases are going to be limited to once per year and there will be an increase in the notice period to two months. Tenants will be able to challenge above market rent increases through the first tier tribunal property chamber. Um, rent review provisions in tenancy agreements are no longer going to be permitted. And those changes are effectively designed to give tenants protection against above market rents, which are designed to um, force them out via the back door. One change that's received quite a lot of coverage is pets. So there's going to be an implied <laughs> term that uh, the tenant can keep a pet if the landlord grants consent, but that that can't be unreasonably refused. Um, although the landlord will be able to insist that the tenant either has to get insurance for pet damage or pay the landlord's costs of doing so. Another change is that leases of more than seven years cannot be assured tenancies, and that will solve a fairly long-standing problem because under the current law, if you have a long lease with a sufficiently high ground rent where the leaseholder lives at the property, it, that would appear to be an assured tenancy, which means that if the tenant falls into arrears, rather than the tenancy being susceptible to forfeiture, which brings a corresponding automatic right to relief if the rent arrears are paid off in the county court, um, the landlord can just bring the tenancy to an end under the Housing Act grounds, including ground eight, which requires only two months of arrears, and then there's no discretion or jurisdiction to grant relief which is very, very harsh on a long leaseholder. So that's quite a neat way of solving that problem. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a new ombudsman that private landlords have to join. Um, we've got some new financial penalties for unlawful evictions. 
and there's going to be a new online database of residential landlords, the privately rented property portal, with entries showing persons against whom banning orders have been made um, and who have been convicted or subject to financial penalties for relevant offences, so that tenants can be informed about who it is they're renting their property from. Okay, so there's, as you said, there's, there's a lot to unpack, and and obviously just just to reiterate, um, much of this, the much of the detail in the bill can change uh, as it passes through Parliament over the coming uh, months. Um, but just to sort of sum up uh, on a practical level, I mean, how significant do you think the changes will be uh, for landlords and tenants if this Act passes in its current form? So overall, it's a pretty big shakeup. And as we've just been through, it's also wide ranging in terms of the changes it's going to bring. So certainly for landlords and those who advise them and act as their agents, um, it's going to be really important to make sure uh, that we're all up to date with the law. It's also worth noting on that note that there's going to be a new offence that if you serve a Section 8 notice, specifying a ground where you know or are reckless as to whether you're actually entitled to rely on that ground, you will be committing an offence. So even more important to uh, be up to date with the changes than than ever before. Overall, um, it's going to be harder to evict tenants, although as we'll come to, maybe not as hard as some news articles would have you believe. As I say, the removal of no-fault evictions is perhaps an over-exaggeration. Um, obviously, of course, a lot can change in a bill's passage through Parliament. That's going to be the case with every bill, but particularly when you've got a, a fairly controversial one, um, as this one is. And I imagine, as with any new piece of legislation, if it is ultimately passed, it, it will inevitably leads to, to to new law and, and new new arguments uh, over the over the detail i can see in those landlord grounds in particular there's there's maybe uh, sort of analogies with with the the intention to redevelop under sort of the 1954 act that, that landlords you know could easily uh, artificially sort of claim to be uh, reusing a, a property as, as, a, as a home for a family member and I, I, you know things like that are going to have to be tested and, and, and considered by courts and sort of genuine intentions I would imagine so do you foresee any potential unintended consequences from from this bill as it currently stands? Um, I mean in terms of unintended consequences um, looking at the wording of the bill as it currently is as you've highlighted yes in theory no fault eviction has gone but with these landlord need grounds where you can evict the tenant if you want to move in yourself or a family member wants to move in or if you want to sell whilst in theory those do give more protection than section 21 which didn't require any reason at all, um, there's pretty limited protection against those grounds being exploited. So if you serve a notice on either of those grounds and the tenant then leaves, you're prohibited as landlord from advertising the property for let for three months. And if you do, you're liable to a fine or financial penalties. Um, But as you say, I mean, landlords one would have thought could quite easily claim that they want to move into their property or sell it. 
but then put it back on the rental market after those three months have expired. And of course, that's assuming that they comply with the three month ban. Um, that three month ban is only going to be effective really if the tenant notices and the tenant then reports that to the local authority and the local authority takes action. There's quite a lot of things that have to happen there for that prohibition to, to be effective. Um, also, that ground is available um, after only six months, which is considerably less than the two years which was proposed by the government in, in their consultation. And again, on, on, on two months notice. Um, so we could see tenants being served with an eviction notice after just four months of signing a tenancy agreement. So yeah, that, I mean, wh whether it's an unintended consequence or mm. just the way that bill tries to strike the balance, I do think that there is room there uh, for those provisions potentially to be exploited um, by landlords. Um, a broader unintended consequence and one which has received quite a lot of coverage is the impact the bill could have on the student lettings market. Um, student lets from private landlords, as one would expect, are generally fixed term tenancies which mirror the academic year, so it might be July to July. Um, the move to periodic tenancies with a two-month notice period um, means that students are likely to start handing in their notice in April and May. And if we have a prohibition on fixed-term tenancies, that's going to mean student landlords can't guarantee spaces to new students at the start of an academic year. Um, if tenants leave mid-tenancies, it's going to be difficult to find a replacement. And there are also particular concerns about vacancies um, renting voids over the summer and some say that may well mean that student landlords move into professional or Airbnb lettings which could reduce the availability of student accommodation driving up rents and reducing the quality of, of housing on offer. Um, the leveling up housing and communities committee had recommended retaining fixed term tenancies for student lets uh, and there were rumours, I think there was a Telegraph article in the last couple of weeks, which suggested that Michael Gove was already considering an amendment to allow student landlords to retain the current model of yearly lets. So that that may be one unintended consequence that, that may be um, changed before we end up with the final version of the Act. So those are those are potentially yep. uh, potentially unintended consequences. You know, that does sound like one of those sort of uh, problems that should hopefully get solved by the legislative process. But um, so overall, then, you know, as you mentioned, it is a, it is a balancing act between the competing interests of of landlords. And, and you know, it is important to to protect responsible landlords and, and also to, to sort of balance that with the the, the needs uh, for, for tenants to, to have security of tenure and, and the, the housing problems that you identified at the outset. So when you measure the bill as it stands against that background you discussed. To what extent do you think the proposals do meet uh, the aims that the government have, have expressed over recent years? So insofar as the aim is to get rid of no-fault eviction, as we've discussed, I think, I, I think it would be an exaggeration to say that the bill brings that about because there are various grounds, we've discussed the landlord need ones, but even the ground which is now going to apply where a landlord is evicting a tenant in order to, for example, comply 
um, with an improvement notice to carry out remedial works. That's not any default on the part of the tenant. And so tenants may well look at the circumstances in which the landlord can still evict them and say, well, that that, that is still a no-fault eviction. Um, whether or not that um, strikes a, a, an appropriate balance between the interests of landlords and tenants is going to very much depend on the point of view um, from which you're you're looking at the bill. Um, I mean, I think another another point in terms of the aims of the bill is that many of the provisions leave it to local authorities to um, enforce breaches which have been committed and some have queried how effective that's going to be if local authorities don't have the resources or manpower uh, to to bring enforcement proceedings. It's also worth noting that the bill doesn't do a number of things that the government committed to in the white paper. So it doesn't bring in the decent homes standard, which currently applies to social housing. That was a big part of the white paper. And it doesn't make it illegal to have blanket bans on renting to tenants in receipt of benefits or with children. There was an accompanying press release with the bill that said the government was still fully committed to implementing those and will bring forward legislation at the earliest opportunity. It remains to be seen when or how that will be done. It is possible it could be by way of amendment to this bill. We'll just have to wait and see. And so, so with the renters reform bill and, and, and the abolition of um, sort of ground rents in, in previous legislation, it does seem like we're getting reform in this uh, sector in a, in a bit of a piecemeal fashion. Do, do you think that that um, is preferable to, to or, or easier to achieve than, than perhaps a, a massive overarching leasehold reform bill could have been? So I would say in answer to that, that it, when we're looking at these changes um, from, from the perspective of people who are um, having to work with the changes and interpret them, um, it might well be preferable to have it um, all in one overarching piece of legislation. Um, that, of course, is likely to mean it is more controversial and takes longer to pass. So, again, there's uh, arguments on both sides, I think, with that. Uh, yeah, and uh, as we've sort of repeatedly stressed throughout this podcast, uh, any piece of legislation faces a long and winding journey uh, through Parliament, and and that is even more so when uh, when uh, we're facing quite quite a fraught, uh, politically charged time with with sort of major economic challenges and and lots of things that that are pressing on the government's time, and uh, then we have the kind of in the distance uh, the faint spectre of a general election, perhaps. 18 months away or so uh, and ever lengthening electoral cycles that are likely to kick in during the passage of this bill through parliament so how smooth do you expect that this bill's passage will actually be uh, and is it likely to to make it through this current session so the future and timing are both difficult to predict as you said at the beginning we had the first reading of the bill on the 17th of may the second reading in the Commons is currently in progress, so there is still quite a way to go. I think if it's quick, we could potentially see it reach the committee stage before the summer recess with Royal Assent in the late autumn of this year, but potentially more likely to be early next year. Um, the government are going to want to push it through and Labour are supposed to be broadly supportive, but there have been 
lots of rumours of conservative rebels who will oppose the bill if more concessions aren't given to landlords. I think the other important thing to note is that even once the bill does receive royal assent, the government has said it's going to give at least six months notice before the first implementation date, which is when changes will affect all new tenancies. And then it's promised to give a further 12 months notice for existing tenancies. So it will be at least 18 months, even after the bill gets royal assent, that we until we feel it's full force. Well, thank you very much, Imogen, for explaining uh, the bill to us. Um, and perhaps we will revisit it down the line if and when it becomes the Renters Reform Act. Thank you very much for having me. It's been really nice to speak to you. Thank you. You have been listening to In on the Act from EG. Mm-hmm.